this is Joseph McGuire of Clearside Communications. And if you want to take your communication skills to the next level, you need to be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my good friend, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. What's up, guys? Today, I got to sit down with Joseph McGuire. Joseph is Ireland's leading facial profile expert. He's also a negotiation, relationship, leadership, and sales consultant. And he's been reading faces for over 40 years, so he's a real expert in the space, and it's a topic that I find so fascinating. So we talked about how you can actually diagnose illnesses and what's going on in the body by simply looking at somebody's face. And Joseph shared some tips on the importance of eyebrows and understanding someone's personality and how you can look at their eyebrows to understand if they um, like you'd be straight to the point, if they're all about data, or if they enjoy you to tell stories and give people-based examples. We also talked about how we can all be better negotiators. So Joseph is an expert in understanding others, and what's really great about him is that he comes from a good and genuine heart. He's not out to manipulate people, but rather to understand them to connect more deeply. And connection is the most powerful form of persuasion. Joseph, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. My pleasure, Greg. Delighted to be here. Thank you. For sure. I can't wait to get into one of the topics I just found fascinating, which is, is facial reading. But before we kind of dive into the different dynamics of it, I'd love to just get a feel on, on how you got into this in the first place. Well, it goes back a long way. Uh, as you gather, I'm uh, of a certain vintage. So I've been, uh, I've been working with this for 40, 40 something years at this stage. I learned it initially as a diag- one of the diagnostic tools used in traditional oriental medicine because I trained many years ago in L- when I lived in London as a shiatsu practitioner. And shiatsu is a branch of oriental medicine. So I learned it, as I say, initially as a diagnostic technique. But I was so fascinated by it because I guess I'd been reading people as a small kid, but couldn't have said what I was doing because I didn't have a structure. So like this gave me a structure. And it, it, to me, it was like light bulbs going flashing everywhere because it was like I was finally home. And um, I then I was training three, four nights a week and many weekends. But I was also working with one of my teachers around a health food store. So as soon as somebody would come in the store, he would ask, what's his condition? What's her condition? So it was full on training day and night. And I just became completely immersed in it, completely fascinated by it. And then I became much more aware, much more conscious of the broader Chinese use of it over 3,000 years, which was the understanding that not just is it used in a diagnostic context, but they understood it in terms of personality, behavior style, because they were using it in politics and business. So it was understood that our personality or behavior style are, and all of those things are revealed in, the, in our facial features. And that, that just drew me in even further. It's just fascinating. Can you share a couple of examples around uh, how you use it as a diagnostic tool in medicine? I'd love to kind of start there because that's the side I don't know much about at all. Okay. Well, the understanding is that each area of the face relates to a particular organ or body system. So we're looking at the we're looking at whether whether an area is discolored, whether it has lines, marks, blemishes, if it's, if it's, if it changes shape. Any of those things can tell you something about the 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 state of a particular organ. Now, 
I get, I'm not working as a therapist anymore. I gave that up a number of years ago, but I guess when I was doing it, I used it alongside uh, the, 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 the hands-on treatments I was using. So I didn't simply use it as a standalone tool and it wouldn't traditionally have been used as a standalone tool. But um, for example, uh, if we look at the lower lip, which is a very common area, if we, see the, if we see on somebody the lower lip becomes swollen or puffy over a period of time, that relates to the, low, that relates to the large intestine, the colon. Mm. So if we see that happening over a period of time, and I've, I've in, fair, in fairness to myself, I've got it myself because I overindulged in Italian gelato on, on vacation. That was a lesson in itself. But uh, when we see that happening, it means there is an actual physical weakening of the colon uh, and the, the peristaltic motion of the, of the colon is become, becomes weakened. So we need to pay particular attention to that. And even in the area of, uh, in the area of neuroscience now and psychoneuroimmunology, there's a lot of research to show the importance of the gut in terms of our mental and emotional well-being not just our physical well-being. So that's one sort of correlation. I know it's a slightly roundabout answer to your question, but it's, uh, it's one area where uh, one can look for, for diagnostic purposes. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it sounds like we can manage our own health a lot better if we we're able to see those kinds of things in our face because we probably don't know our colon isn't working optimally. Um, we probably know a lot faster by looking at our lower lip than we would until we feel something really bad. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the reality is most of us, uh, certainly my experience of working as a therapist over almost 30 years was that most people are not body conscious. Mm-hmm. Most people are not aware of what's actually going on in the body. When you ask them, how, do you, how does your body feel? They have to stop and actually think. Where I, I, I learned over many years to really be conscious and tuned into what my body is telling me. Because the body, again, in, in, in oriental thinking, the body is almost like a metaphor as well. So there's a, the, the, each, each organ and body system in, in the oriental thinking is associated with different areas of our emotion, different aspects of our mental processes. So uh, when, we're, when we're really paying attention to the body, the body is often telling us a lot about what's actually going on in our life, not just what's happening phys- physically or physiologically. For sure. For sure. So as you're using facial analysis and facial reading to diagnose medical challenges, is it it's probably a gray area, right? But I mean, is it right all the time? Or are you right like 60% of the time? Or I mean, is it that certain of a science? I, I haven't come up, to be honest, I haven't come across it being validated in sort of laboratory terms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's particularly used in, in traditional Chinese medicine. Like you'll find a lot of acupuncturists will use it, but they will use it alongside tongue diagnosis, which tends to be regarded as more important. They will also use the, the, the pulses on the wrist. So they will, they will combine a number of diagnostic techniques and then palpation as well. And I would have used a lot of, I would have used it alongside palpatory skills when I was working hands-on. So I wasn't just using it for those purposes. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, if I had concerns, if there were areas I wasn't sure about, what I would tend to do would be to, rec- to, to recommend that the, the, my patient see their doctor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and have something checked. I wasn't just... I, I, I always had a network of medical professionals mm-hmm. I could refer people to because I, I just felt that was the, the, most, the most honest and fair way to go. So like a lot of my language, never take one thing and run with it, right? You, it can point you in a direction, but then you have to validate it in other ways for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I'm, I'm, cur- I'm curious about how, you know, everyday folks can use it, use facial reading to communicate more effectively with each other and kind of understand each other more effectively. Okay. Well, an area that's um, obviously uh, things have changed in recent months globally, and mm-hmm. um, we have had we have what what's uh, popularly or, or unpopularly referred to as lockdown, where we've had to stay confined 
and many people are working from home nowadays. And what I've found a lot of my business in recent months has changed because I was doing, I was working primarily live in room in rooms with groups of people and teams, etc. So what I've found uh, in recent times is a lot of people have been contacting me on an individual basis because they because they're confined with people they thought were their loved ones mm. or very close friends and realizing oh, there's a problem here mm-hmm. so i'm not there to fix relationships but i am helping people with communication advice so what i'm doing there is i'm i'm getting the person on screen but i'm, I'm having them send me good facial photos of whoever it is they're shall we say having issues with and helping them to recognize your communication style is this but their communication style is completely different mm-hmm. so rather than you talking from your 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 traditional manner your traditional pattern you need to adapt to recognize that this is how they receive information this is how they process it and then this is how they externalize it so it's looking at it's looking at individual facial features to recognize how what is what is somebody's um, preferred i guess their preferred or innate or default communication style so for example uh, you can simply look at somebody's eyebrows and the eyebrows will tell you a lot about how somebody processes information. And I know, I, yes, I do recognize that many women sculpt their eyebrows, so one has to rec- take that into account. But even so, uh, if we look at just keeping it very, very simple, if we look at the eyebrows, the eyebrow shape, if the eyebrows are essentially straight, then these are people who process information in a very linear, logical manner. So we need to communicate a message where A leads to B leads to C. Where if, they're, if their eyebrows are more curved, then these are more person-centered. Mm-hmm. So we need to communicate to their emotions, to how they feel. And if the eyebrows then are more um, like an inverted V shape or they're, they're pointed down towards the inner corner of the eye, these are more autocratic types. So we need to keep our communication very direct. So there's the, the, eyebrows, the eyebrows tell you so much about a person's communication style. That's a very, very simple one to take into account. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And, and also from a micro-expression perspective, the eyebrows can tell you a whole lot as well. You put those two oh, yeah. things together, it becomes, becomes really, really powerful. <clears throat> and it's interesting. I didn't, so I, I'm not having kind of issues with my wife from being locked down in COVID, but as I started to learn about these topics, right, um, I, I was assessing myself and my wife and, and what I saw was kind of, I process information a lot faster than she does. Right. And that's one of our challenges in communication that now I can look back and say, oh, yeah, I, I can see where that happened and how maybe I need to adapt now a little bit. And it's really powerful just in that regard. Absolutely. And as a willingness, that's the key thing, the willingness to adapt, mm-hmm. not to assume that we're right. And that's 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 what happens in a lot of relationships which don't work, mm-hmm. that we assume we're right and they're wrong. And one of the one of the key things for me is the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule. The golden rule that many of us were brought up with is treat others as you would like to be treated. But the platinum rule says treat others as they would like to be treated. So it's taking into account their reality, as, at least as we understand it and perceive it. And if we can recognize their reality then and, and be willing to meet them there, it really enhances communication. It opens doors for, for no matter how good the relationship is for it to, to improve even further. And that applies on both a personal and a professional level. That's where you really start to connect, you know, where you really get, have those deep conversations and deep connections and, and you really feel close to somebody. Yeah. So, so you mentioned professional there and I did want to take it to how this is used in professional and business settings or how we can use it more effectively in those settings. 
yeah, absolutely. And again, the, the understanding is that our facial features, our static facial features reveal so much about personality, behavior style, how we, how we receive and process information, and then how we communicate externally, stress triggers and responses. People, uh, who, who's likely to be a, a team player, who's likely to be an individualist, who's a more analytical type, who's more creative. So our facial features reveal all of those things. And if we, if, we, if we can learn to read a face accurately, we can pick up on that stuff very, very quickly, that kind of information very, very quickly. So again, we tailor our communication for the person or the people we're dealing with. And if we're talking about, for example, if we're talking about sales, we're talking about... Um, who are our customers or who are our prospective customers looking at them and recognizing that this is how they need to receive the message because it's not a case, no matter how good we are at what we're doing, no matter how wonderful our product, if we're not presenting the information the way the customer needs to receive it, we're often missing out. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it's adapting and it's not, it's not simply coming like it's not a case. Most of us tend to see the world through our own prism. So it's being willing to set that aside and recognize that Mr. X or Miss X sees it very differently and I need to see it through their eyes. Yeah, and from, from a sales perspective, I can tell you that I, again, just kind of beginning to learn about this stuff, right? And I, I leveraged it in a meeting I was going into. I you know, took a look at the guy's picture on LinkedIn and started to assess him. And I didn't say, hey, this is 100% who he is, um, but I went in saying, here's some indications that I'm going to look for. And many of them proved out to be true, right? And it allowed me to prepare, you know, a story I wanted to tell in a way that maybe landed a bit more effective with him or ask questions that um, maybe were more relevant to the way he thinks, you know? So it was really Absolutely. powerful in that regard. And, you know, it took, took 15 minutes, maybe. It, is that, it doesn't take a tremendous amount of time once you kind of understand what you're doing. That's it. And the key is to understand what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and why you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Once you clear, once you clear on that, it opens up other possibilities that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. So, how do you leverage it from a negotiation perspective? Okay, I like to ideally meet pe- meet and mingle with people when ideally when I go into a room with the team. I, first of all, I'm introduced as a colleague or an associate. People are not told who I am or what my role is, other than that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I like to I like to mingle with people when they're having tea, coffee before anything starts. So I get, a, I get a quick read in when they're in an informal situation and I see them relaxed when apparently nothing's at stake. Mm-hmm. And then I see the, the difference between them across the table mm-hmm. and how they change, how they change their behavior, what, what, like, even things like not just face reading but breathing patterns, the body language, whether the, the facial expressions, how they change. I've, I've already read them very quickly in terms of Again, personality, behavior, style, etc. So I'm looking for I'm looking for disparities or in, or incongruencies between what I've seen and how they're presenting. And if sometimes I'll speak during a negotiation, but uh, only if it's to alert my colleagues that there's something going on here you really need to pay attention to. But during a break, I will then give them a profile of what's actually going on across the table. So I will alert them to, again, the, the, what's, re, what's going on behind the words. Because so often, quite, quite often at, at a senior level or serious, uh, at a high level, negotiation is often a game of double bluff. Mm-hmm. Or it's, in fact, it's often a game. <laughs> so it's to recognize, to recognize what game the person is, or the, team, the other team are playing. Yeah. And it's much harder, harder for them to hide the body language or even more so the micro-expressions. 
But the approach Absolutely. that can take highlights the importance of getting that baseline, right? You have to understand them exactly. at a base level before yeah. you can say what's different. How, what's, what are they acting differently about? How are they responding? Otherwise, you don't know what's normal, what's not. Absolutely. The base, getting the baseline right and paying attention to the baseline is absolutely essential. And it's one thing people often miss. People often assume that a particular gesture means X and another particular gesture means Y, and it's very rarely the case. It's all contextual. So getting the base, observing the baseline where there's nothing at stake, how people behave when there's absolutely nothing at stake, gives you a clear picture of the baseline. And then you observe differences and, as I say, incongruencies between what they're, how they're presenting physically, physiologically, and how they're, what, and, the, and their, their word wording. Yeah, I think if you start tying that together with your personality analysis based on facial reading, right, then it can become really powerful because you kind of know something about the personality, how they might respond, you get their baseline, and then you see them react in a way that's clearly out of place with both of those things, it just becomes that much more clear. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. And it is tying all the evidence together. It's not just making assumptions. It's mm-hmm. always then make your observations and then check for evidence. Like yeah. one, of the, one of the basic principles I was taught from very early was non-credo, which is Latin for I do not believe. And I've, that has stayed with me because it's not enough to assume anything. Mm-hmm. Make the observation and then check for the evidence. Yeah. So go in with, with an idea, like a direction, but be a blank slate, be willing to change that. Um, yeah, that's, absolutely. That that's really important. <laughs> so from a broader negotiation perspective, just based on your experience in the space, what are the keys to being just a successful negotiator in general outside of kind of the body language and the facial reading and all those things? Okay. Relaxed confidence is a key, key element. And I find so many people go into negotiation and they're very, very stressed. And so many, even highly successful people lack confidence. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the areas I tend to work with people prior to a negotiation helping them, helping them to, to really find their own strengths, to really identify their own strengths with clarity, to recognize maybe weaknesses so that somebody else in the team can complement that, cover that area. Also to, to help them simply to relax because the more we relax going into a negotiation, the clearer we can think, whether that's in terms of our preparation or on the spot. So that's, an, that's absolutely essential. And the more relaxed we are, the more, uh, the more that communicates itself to our counterparts across the table. So it creates at least a feeling that we are somebody they can do business with. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the nonverbal kind of um, uh, simply energetic element of the communication. Um, willingness, a willingness to make decisions. And again, you can get people procrastinating or prevaricating around making a decision. So there's a willingness to either, excuse me, decide to go with the proposal, to question the proposal, to walk away, or to, to make a decision to look, to expand what's on the table, to decide to offer something else or to ask for something else. And again, unfortunately, many people in, in negotiating teams or individuals negotiating forget that element and can often feel overwhelmed by the situation. Mm-hmm. So the relaxed confidence, the willingness to make a decision, to me, they're absolutely key elements in, in, any, uh, in, any, uh, in, in both preparing and then in having a successful negotiation. I'm curious if you've ever walked into negotiation, there's another individual like you on the other side. 
<laughs> that you've realized, you know. Um, I've had my suspicion on occasion. <laughs> had, um, but nobody's going to admit it, not publicly yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that would just be a fascinating dynamic if you could kind of read what's going on in everybody's head mm-hmm. in, in that scenario. So shifting topics a little bit, I know when we talked earlier, you had mentioned that you're just really good at getting leaders to open up and kind of go deeper in conversations. And I'd love to dive into how do you, how do you do that so well? And how can, how can all of us be better at that? Okay. Willingness to listen. Willingness to listen is essential. Be demonstrate being interested rather than trying to be interesting. So show a genuine interest in them. Uh, be willing to ask questions. Be willing to ask questions even if one thinks those questions are foolish. Mm. But keep the questions concise. Do not get into long-winded questions because that will bore the pants off people. <laughs> but for particularly leaders who value their time, ask, ask questions. Even if, you, even if you think it's the most foolish question under the sun, be willing to ask it but keep it concise and then show you're genuinely interested in the answer. And then when they, when they answer questions in general, make sure you you're demonstrate you're paying attention by, by being willing to ask another question. And recognize also when they have had enough. Mm-hmm. They, may, they may tell you directly anyway, it will depend on their personality and behavior style, whether they will tell you directly, which some will do. But uh, one thing to pay attention to is if you're in, and this is this applies not just to speaking with leaders, but if you're speaking with anybody, and their their eyebrows drop down over the eyes, that's a message to to you to say shut up. <laughs> it's either it's either their turn to speak or they've lost interest. Oh, that's great. That's great to know. Yeah, I think whenever eyebrows coming down or eyes squinting a little, right? Anything that that strengthens around the eyes is typically a negative sign to, to kind of back away, be quiet. Absolutely. In the case of they're angry, frustrated, yeah. or they want to talk. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, indeed. Yeah. So uh, tell me about the importance of silence um, in your approach and just in conversation in general. Yeah, I learned this as a therapist. Again, it was paying attention to people and recognizing that their, their body language, their posture changed slightly and they were just getting slightly, slightly edgy slightly um slightly anxious it was just it was just a slight slight changes the posture the, the breathing became that little bit faster a little bit shallower they started moving their hands or their feet and feet are great feet are great tell, telltale signs if the feet particularly if they suddenly start to move together or if the feet suddenly start to tap pay attention to that because there's something significant going on there mm-hmm. um so what i learned was to just to some degree mirror the posture but then just relax just get just breathe calmly and allow silence to happen and very often be willing to be be willing to be silent for at least 30 seconds at least 30 seconds and it's sometimes sometimes it's it's that 30 second mark i don't know why but it's the 30 second mark that people suddenly start to speak up and divulge something that they would not ordinarily tell you and that can apply equally well in a business situation or in a therapeutic situation that something they'll they'll suddenly say oh i've never actually told anybody this i've Mm -hmm. never even spoken to my wife or my my fellow directors about this that but somehow i need to tell you this 
in 30 seconds, I can imagine getting pretty uncomfortable because, you know, if we're silent for five seconds, it starts to get uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's why silence is such a powerful tool. But it's to make sure your facial, your, your face, facial muscles are relaxed and you're not showing any indication of stress so that you're maybe even, maybe even a slight smile. But make sure you get your smile right so that it doesn't look like a smile of contempt. Yes. Both sides. Right. Not one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Make sure it's a friendly smile. And just that your posture, your posture is relaxed, you're breathing calmly and deeply, and you're just, you're just, you're just hanging out. Yeah. And I, I know that you mentioned that you've become, one of the reasons you're so good at silence is your history of meditation. And I've spoken That's before right. about just doing simple mindfulness meditation, you know, five minutes a day listening to your breath can be one of the most powerful things you can do, I think, to make you a better listener and communicator. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. To me, to me, meditation is simply a sentence part of my day. Um, I've been using meditation in one form or another for pretty much close on 40 years. So I, I've kind of mixed and matched a lot of different stuff. So I just do my own thing now. But learning to sit in silence, to find a posture that works for you. And I, do, like I, I don't sit in lotus, for example. My, my body just doesn't, doesn't like it, so I don't go there. But I find a posture that's, that's, that's comfortable and, that, and pay attention to the breath and just continue to pay attention to the breath and let the mind do whatever it needs to do, not to try and fight the mind to stop it going off anywhere because it'll tend to do that anyway, mm -hmm. but just to keep paying attention to the breath. Some people like to use a mantra. Sometimes I will, sometimes I won't, but to pay attention to that every day and just get into the practice. So it's, 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 it's effectively training, training the body and the mind to work together and to just be in that place of silence, of allowing whatever it is to be there. When it's not fighting anything, trying to make anything happen, when it's just allowing. And what I've found with that over the years is that creates a, it creates a state of stillness where one has access to other levels of creativity, but instinct, intuition, whatever you want to call it, ideas come from wherever, and it works very, it works very, 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 very well. But it also enables when we're then networking or in a business meeting, to just be, to be in that place of stillness and to be receptive to where other people are coming from. And again, to allow ourselves to adapt, not our values, but our attention and our communication to the situation. And for me, it's like paying attention to the breath with all the stuff going on in your mind. So you realize you have a thought, you go back to your breath, another thought, you go back to your breath. The breath represents like a conversation with somebody because I'm conversating with somebody and a thought comes up that's unrelated. I got to let that go and get back to you. It happens again, yeah. and I let it go back, just like the breath. And that's why it's such good practice for paying attention to somebody. But I'm curious to get your, also, your thoughts, because something I think, I think so many people struggle with, and I certainly do, um, how to just almost empty ourselves so that we can be um, a container, if you will, to understand the other person, to focus on them, because there's so much going on in our own head, regardless of how much we try. How can Absolutely. we start to get to a place where I'm all about the other person? Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not particularly a Star Wars fan, but I do remember Yoda. And Yoda says, there is no try. Mm. It's just, it's just doing, there's just being. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a practice one cultivates over time. And I certainly don't always get it right. Uh, because as you say, the mind is, the mind is busy all the time. No matter who we are, the mind is busy all the time. So it is, it is learning. It is training oneself over a period of time. and usually an extended period of time to, to develop some degree of stillness. Mm -hmm. some degree of silence within and a willingness to be receptive to the other person, whoever they are, wherever they're from. 
and a willingness to a willingness a willingness to explore where they're coming from. That's not just not not just their product or service, but who they are, what their perspective on things is, mm-hmm. um, and and to again to be in, demonstrate being interested rather than interesting, so that one 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 is one is one cultivates the art of paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's something I'm going to continue to explore for myself, but also to help other folks do it as well. Because I think it is the key component to being a better communicator. It's not saying the perfect thing or asking the perfect question. It's really being open to understanding somebody else and wherever that may take you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I I had to learn all this stuff from scratch because when I when I started mingling in business circles, I was coming from uh, the, the background of being a holistic therapist and I felt like a complete fish out of water. Mm-hmm. So when I, would, when I was going to network meetings, I would actually write a list of questions to ask people uh, because I, I knew I had to start somewhere and I, I, simply, I simply felt like I, I didn't know how to ask business people questions. Mm-hmm. I, was seeing them as, I was seeing them as clients, but that was, that was them coming to me for help. But when I was in their world, I felt like I needed to learn. So I actually started to, I actually wrote a list of questions that were open-ended questions. And that's a key element in, 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 in engaging in conversation with people. Make sure your questions are open-ended so that you can't simply be answered with a yes or a no. And again, once you do that, it allows people to, it allows people to elucidate, to articulate on their, their ideas and their their feelings and whatever else so that it, it demonstrate or it, it at least appears to demonstrate to them that you are genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once they feel you're interested, they tend to be much more open and much more receptive to you and whatever it is you're, you're offering. Yeah, definitely agree. So just a few more questions I'd like to ask everybody who I have on the show. The first is around the power of conversation. So I'm a big believer that one conversation can change somebody's life. So I always like to ask my guests if there's a conversation you can point to that had a really big impact on you. Absolutely. Yes, it was with my late father. And I was, I was getting married in, uh, in the city of Cologne in Germany. Uh, my, my ex-wife is German. And my parents came over to, to Cologne for the, for the wedding. And I spent some time in the city with my father one day. And we had a conversation. And he said that when, we, when me and my sisters were, were small, he realized that he had made many mistakes in raising us, but he had no regrets because he did the best he could at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was a very profound statement to me, and it stayed with me. That's, that's, what, that's 30 odd years, 35 years ago. But that was one of the most profound things I certainly had heard to then and probably since. And it was such a, it was one of, I guess it was almost a breakthrough thing with me and my father as well because it was, a, it was a particularly honest thing to say, and to, simply to acknowledge that he had made mistakes, but that it was the best he could do at the time. Yeah. Being a father of five myself, I can certainly relate to that sentiment, mm-hmm. and, but I think you can apply it to anything in life, because I think we're Absolutely. much too hard on ourselves. I know I am. Um, Absolutely. As long as you're always trying to get better, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And um, you, may like to, you may want to ask another question, actually, because there's probably... There's probably uh, a couple of things that may relate to questions you may have that I, I don't want to jump the gun on. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, just a couple more. Um, oh, the next one is around um, communication skills that you wish you had, right? So um, if, if think about all that you've accomplished so far, 
if you could have had one communication skill that would have made it all a lot easier for you, what would that have been? I, I guess it's, it, it would have been the, the, the willingness, not so much the ability, but the willingness to listen at a much earlier age and, take, and, and receive information and receive wisdom because I, growing up, I didn't have confidence and I was very closed in many ways. Because of that, I, became, I built a defensive shield around myself. So I wasn't anywhere near as receptive as I could have been. And I've learned over the years the value of being receptive. So it was really not so much a communication skill as a willingness to listen. Mm -hmm. I think part of, part of a skill is a willingness to do it, right? Yes, um, yeah. That's, that's interesting. And then my final question, who's the best communicator that you know, either know of or know personally? And, and why do you say that about them? Okay, probably is, it's, a, it's a guy who I would regard as my mentor, but has also become a great friend since. Mm -hmm. um, a guy called Lee Tunney Ware. And I was introduced to Lee through, through a personal, uh, to a great friend. It was one of those synchronistic connections. And we just hit it off from the moment we started speaking. It was our, most of our first, first months of our communication was by phone because he lives in, I live in the East Coast of Ireland. He lives on the West Coast. So we just weren't likely to geographic, you know, just to meet. Um, and Lee is a very, very powerful communicator. He's very articulate. He, he left school at the age of seven and a half, eight, because he was profoundly dyslexic at a time when dyslexia was not recognized. And um, he, he was basically teach the, the, the education people thought, told him he was stupid. And when he was later assessed, he was found he was almost a genius level, but he didn't fit the educational model. And he, he's a guy who delves very, very deeply into the working of the mind and human psychology and how, how humans operate. Like he's, he's, a, he's, he's hugely skilled at NLP. He's a psycho, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, etc., and many other things besides. And one of the key things he has taught me is that the past is just information. And that refers to what we were saying a few minutes ago, that if we can recognize that no matter what has happened to us, good, bad, or indifferent, it's just information rather than something we have to carry around with us and process and process and process like we so often do, it's very, very liberating. Um, so he, he has taught me that. And if he taught me nothing else, and he's taught me many other things, but if he taught me nothing else than that, it, the, the, the relationship would have been immensely worthwhile. But he's one of the most, he's the, one of the most articulate people I've ever met, but also his, how he applies his ability to be articulate is in very, very subtle ways that get people thinking way beyond not just comfort zones, but any limits they've previously been uh, corralled in. Yeah, that sounds like a, a fascinating guy. And I think that's a tremendous Absolutely. lesson. Um, yes, indeed. It, it does apply to communication, certainly, because the mindset you bring to any communication has a huge impact on how you read somebody else and what you're saying and how you're acting. Um, and if you can let go of all that past, uh, I don't want to say garbage, if you will, but you know, negative feelings and emotions, especially if you're talking to somebody who you have a long-standing relationship with. There's a lot of baggage there sometimes. Yeah. Um, you got to let go of that and use that to understand how you can better connect with this person. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And to me, most the, the core part of my work is about building relationships. Mm-hmm. And again, whether that be in, in, the, in the professional world or the, or the personal world, it's about building relationships and, and looking to build exceptional relationships, mm-hmm. not, just, not, just, not just numbers and not just for the sake of it, but really bring relationships to a whole new level. Very cool. Very cool. So final question, where can folks find you? Where can they learn what you're up to? Where can they connect with you? Okay, I tend to be most active. I'm probably not active enough, but most active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my own website, which is clearsightcommunications.com, but that's in transition at the moment. It's kind of half of one thing and half of another, and I'm, I, need to get, I need to get back to sorting it out properly, but LinkedIn is probably the best way to get, get to me. Very cool, very cool. Well, I appreciate the time today. Um, I thought it was fascinating. I always love to dive into conversations around body language and facial reading and all the topics that we talked about. And you're clearly very expert in the space. So I appreciate you taking your time to share your expertise with us. Absolutely. My pleasure, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.